Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center. Today, Pastor Preeti continues to teach from the healing series on how thanksgiving to our God can bring complete restoration in our lives. May the instructions we receive in our lives bring us to a place of thanksgiving which in turn restores us completely. Are you ready for the word? What have we been studying in this season? we've been studying on healing and we've been um believing god for healing and we've been trying to understand all the principles of healing especially uh from the stories of how jesus healed his people right uh we we learned something last time it was about how it is so um that how there is there are demonic principalities that can stop our healing and how you need to bind the strong man if you need to get what is kept you remember that man who was blinded and muted and and blinded at the same time and then jesus had to cast out the demon so he can step out so he can be be freed so we we studied that last time of how it is necessary that sometimes we have to wage a spiritual warfare so that we can see a breakthrough in our health we can see a healing in our marriage so that we can see a healing in our finances we can see a healing in our relationships amen this morning we're going to go uh, and take take one more step and study a little bit more let's begin today with psalm 92 and verse 1 onwards the bible says it is it is good to give thanks to the lord and to sing praises to the most high it is the bible calls it a good thing to give thanks the bible calls it a good thing to worship the bible calls it a good thing to be singing praises to the most high it is not something that we do when we feel good but it is something that when we do it then it becomes good then things in your life your emotions your life everything will become good what we do is when we are feeling good and when we are feeling on the top of the world is when we like to sing a song right come on especially when you're in love and you've gotten that romantic letter not from your spouse from that boyfriend or girlfriend you know that's when it works more than when you get it from your spouse you you understand what you what i'm talking about and and that's when you feel like a, a poet and you feel like writing songs you feel like singing a song you feel like you know doing everything and and you know that is some, that is how we sometimes behave even in our relationship with god and when we feel good when we like it when we are enjoying when we can feel the goosebumps is when when that naturally one song comes out wait a minute the bible says when you sing that is what brings goodness into your life that is what should be the reason for you to be feeling good it is a good thing to give thanks to the lord and to sing praises to the most high i pray and i believe that this morning our service will be saturated with thanksgiving and praises that we will be saturated with giving to the lord not just receiving from the lord but also giving to the lord 
also responding back to God and saying, God, this belongs to you. This worship, it is not mine. It is not supposed to be spent on my friends or, or, the, or the things belonging. You know, we adore our stuff, right? Like, you know, if you have a good, uh, nice new dress that you just purchased, how many times during the week do you open the cupboard and just check it out and... You're like, oh man, when will I get to wear this? Somebody get married, please. Somebody invite me for something special. And we... You know what you're doing? You are adoring and you're admiring your, a picture of you in that dress. You know, the, this is technically what worship is all about. When we, when we look at the Lord again and again, I mean like God may not be doing something for you right now, It may not be a wedding day or it may not be a special day when you get to wear that dress, but you just go into scripture and you you just read a scripture and you're like, wow, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be there. I'd like to, you know, all the other things that we spend our time adoring and admiring. If we can bring it to the Lord and say, "I, I enjoy this Lord because the Bible says it's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. It's a good thing to sing praises to the Most High. The next line, it says, it is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning and your faithfulness in the evening. It is a good thing if I can wake up in the morning and I can proclaim your unfailing love. And when it is evening, if I could proclaim about your faithfulness during the day. That, you know, the psalmist is talking about a time. This is uh, a psalmist. We don't know who the psalmist is. But he's talking about a season in his life where there are, there are going to be morning seasons and there are going to be evening seasons. You know, morning is usually the time when we have an expectation. We have a hope for the day ahead. And evening is a time where we sometimes reflect with regret or sometimes we reflect and we are happy or we are sad about what happened during the day. And the Bible says, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not going to be focused on what I want to do. I'm not going to be focused on what good is going to come out of my life. My focus is now going to be on your unfailing love. And when I go to bed in the night, my focus is still not going to be on how much I was successful, how much I was able to resist sin, or how much I prayed today, or how well I lived for the Lord today, my focus is going to be back to your faithfulness in my life. You know, when we walk through life, we make it so much about us. We make it so much about if, you know, and I'm not against you evaluating your life and you checking, where did I go wrong? What did I do? You know, but worship is not about how you evaluate yourself. Worship is about how you see a picture of God working in and through even your failures, even your regrets, even the times when you've, you've lost your cool and you've screamed at somebody and, and you go to God and say, God, I want to see you in the, all of this. I don't know. I look, I look an ugly mess right now, but I want to see your presence in all of this. I want to see what you are making of me. So in the morning, I proclaim your unfailing love and in the evening, I declare about your faithfulness. Verse 3, this is something that all of us cannot do, but we, 
uh, we still have our own way of making a melody, right? The Bible says, I will do it accompanied by a 10-stringed instrument, a harp, and the melody of a lyre. If, you, if you're gifted and you're able to play some instruments, if you're not able to play some instruments, we are blessed with Spotify and Apple Music, eh? <laughs> Uh, and you can, if, you, if, you're, if you're able to take the help of other instruments or other people who are able to worship God along with you. And he says, hey, accompany it with all of these things. And I would do this in the morning and I would do this in the evening. Verse 4, this, this excites me. Because it says, you thrill me, Lord, with all that you have done for me. And I sing for joy because of what you have done. It's not saying I'm just, you know, uh, grateful, Lord. I'm just happy. He's saying, you thrill me. When he looks back at the day and he's saying, this is something that is causing me excitement. And this is not talking about a special day of his life, like his wedding day probably, or the day when he gets a new job, or a day when he has like this crazy promotion. No, he's talking about it every morning and every night, coming to a place where he's thrilled about who God is. When he has an experience of this God, he's thrilled. And he says, when I think of all that you have done for me, I I begin to now sing for joy. You know, this requires for us to meditate on what God has done. So often, our meditation is all about what God has not done. All those prayers that God has not answered. All those things that God didn't do for us. Our meditation, our focus, our, our prayers are filled with that. Our times with God is filled with telling God how He has failed you. We, we have become an expert in pointing out God's faults. In telling that this didn't happen, that didn't happen. I, you know, I expected you to bless me here. I, I, I expected you to do it this way. But the Bible says, hey, can you stop meditating on what God has not done and start focusing on what He has already done in your life? Because what He has already done in your life, when you begin to be grateful for those things, that in fact opens the gateway for what He has not yet done in you in your life. What happens with us is we, we just look at what is done and what is not done and we, we just focus on, okay, this is done. Praise God for that. Now let me just focus on what is not done yet. You know, and we, we begin to fast and pray for it. And rather than doing that, and, and there is nothing wrong in it. I'm not saying you know it's wrong to fast and pray for a need in your life. I'm saying, can you in this season focus on what he has already done? Because that is now going to open a gateway. It's going to open a door into what God is wanting to do in your life. But there is a closed door, but your thanksgiving, your worship, your praises, your adoration, admiration, daily, morning, noon, and night is now going to open the door into what he has not yet done. The Bible says in verse 5, O Lord, how great works you do, and how deep are your thoughts. Here is this man, he's, he's first adoring God's works. When he says, okay, this is what you did in the past. And now he's adoring his thoughts. The thoughts are those that has not yet become a work. You should understand, when God has 
plans and thoughts towards you. They are plans and thoughts of prosperity, of, of good. Come on, this is a verse that every Christian, you know, goes to, right? Your plans are not. My plans, my, my thoughts are not. Your thoughts, my thoughts are higher. It's better. It is a plan to bless you, to prosper you. Now here, the Bible says, the, the man, he, is, he begins by first admiring the works of God. Then he says, how deep are your thoughts? Now he's admiring those things that God has not yet done. But because it is in the mind of God, it is worth admiring. Which means there are things that God has not yet done in my life, but I can still say, I know that you're thinking about this. I, I might have forgotten about my healing. I might have forgotten about my failure, but, but you, you still have this in your mind. And I adore this. I admire what you're thinking about me, about this area. I, I admire your thoughts. You know, that is how you can pull down the thoughts and make it into actions. We, we are waiting for the thoughts to become actions so that we can worship God. But here is a man who says, I'm going to admire not just the works of God, but I'm also going to admire how deep are his thoughts. How deep are his thoughts. They may not even be thoughts towards me, but I'm going to just admire these thoughts. If you're, if you're confused this morning, how can I know the thoughts of God? Read your Bible, bro. <laughs> if you don't read your Bible and you're wondering what, are the, what, what is God thinking about, then, then we have a problem. You know, it's not like you will always have a revelation. You read your word and God will give you a revelation. God will speak to you and, and you begin to admire and you say, how deep are your thoughts? How deep is your thinking? I've never seen this happen. I've never, you know, seen it with my life in, in front of me. But this is, this is deep. This is beautiful. The Bible says that dead people can be raised. The Bible says that, uh, you know, the, these kind of uh, sicknesses can be cleansed. I admire this. I, this is deep. And I, I, I enjoy and I celebrate it even when I don't see it in action. Are we ready to go to the healing story from the New Testament? This is the book of Luke and chapter 17 and verse 11. The Bible says, as Jesus, he continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. If you know, Samaria was a place where the, the northern tribes of Israel, you know, they lived and they were now seen as untouchables by the Jews, by the descendant of the tribe of Judah. The Bible says that Jesus was now in a place, in a border between Galilee is the place where Jesus grew up and Samaria is the place where Jews normally don't want to go and want to hang out. He's in the border and he was about to enter into a village, verse 12. As he entered a village there, the Bible says, 10 men with leprosy, they stood at a distance. It says, as he entered a village there, 10 men, they are standing there at the entrance of the village. And they are standing at a distance. And you know the context. We have spoken about this so many times. It's because leprous people cannot be in the village. 
They cannot be in the city. They cannot be in the most happening places. They cannot be hanging out in those places where Jesus would minister because there would be great crowds of people. These 10, they were outcasts. They have to be living by themselves. They have to be sustained by themselves. They somehow keep each other, you know, provide for each other. They have their own community outside the city. Now, in this community, there are people all kinds of outcasts. There are people that have an issue of bleeding, you know, who have been, you know, kicked out. There are people who have um, all these issues which make them unclean. It could be touching a dead person or, or you know, any of these things that are categorized as unclean in the Old Testament, they will all be in this community. Now, out of that, there were 10 that were lepers and they were together. They were, at the, they were on the outskirts of the village. The Bible says, as he entered, they, they stood there. They knew that Jesus is coming here and they stood there at the entrance. The next line, it says, they began crying, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They, are, they have a desperate cry and a dependency on this Jesus. And all 10 of them cried. All 10 of them prayed. All 10 of them you know, fasted or all 10 of them had an expectation. All 10 of them had a hunger to see their breakthrough. All 10 of them were probably on their uh, knees or, you know, they, 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 they were crying out to Jesus saying, Lord, we want you to have mercy on us. Verse 14, he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, J- Jesus didn't Heal them. Jesus didn't, you know, we, we saw how Jesus healed so many other people. He would reach out or he would touch them or he would put the, you know, mud over their eyes, all of that. Here, Jesus didn't heal them. But Jesus gave them an instruction. Jesus said, okay, go and show yourself to the priests. See, these guys, they have absolutely no evidence of their healing. They're supposed to go to the priest only if they are healed. They are not supposed to go and show themselves to the priest. They are not supposed to even enter into the village till the time they are actually healed and cleansed of their leprosy. But now Jesus tells them, you need to go and show yourself to the priest. And that's how, that will be the answer to the prayer that you prayed. Sometimes when God answers our prayer, it will not be in the exact same format that we prayed our prayer. The people are praying, saying, Lord, have mercy on us and heal us. And Jesus is saying, no, you have to go and show yourself to the priests. You have to go and show yourself to the, 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 the person who is going to now testify that you are healed or that you are cleansed. Go and show yourself to the priest. Now, now this is the problem with us. What we do is, we're like, I'll, I'll wait, Lord. Let me, let me check the reports first. Let me know for sure that I am healed. Let me know for sure that this will work for me. Let me know for sure that there is no risk in doing this. Let me know for sure that I am going to be fine through all of this. And then I will obey. But God says, wait, I'm giving you a word. I'm telling you, obey me. Do this. Go and show yourself. I know there is a risk involved. If there is no risk involved in obeying God, then, then it really may not necessarily be God speaking to you. Because 
Obeying God is hard. Trust me. You have to go against the wind. You have to go against the flow. And here is Jesus telling them to do something that is anti what the law, what the Torah, what the Old Testament had told them to do. Now they have to obey Jesus and in that obedience lies their healing. In that obedience lies their breakthrough. In their obedience lies their answers. Church, we have to learn to interpret what Jesus is speaking. We have to learn to interpret what God is speaking even if it doesn't match with what we have prayed for. And the Bible says, and as they went, which means as they began to obey, what did Jesus say? Go and show yourself to the priest. It says, and as they went, as they obeyed, they were cleansed of their leprosy. As they obeyed, as they walked, as they journeyed towards the destination that Jesus sent them. So church, in this season, rather than focusing on the fact that I still have this, I still have this challenge, you know, this is what the doctor is saying, you know, all of those things, can we rather focus on where Jesus is sending us, what he wants us to do? And in that journey, somewhere along that journey, in that pursuit of obeying the voice of God in our life, you will now be healed. You will now be set free. This will not even be a problem in your life. Somewhere in that journey, we, we are thinking, let me, let me get this sorted, then I will do ministry. Let me get this sorted and then I will get married. Let me get this sorted and then I will pick up a job. No, you obey what God is asking you to do. And in that journey, God will make sure what needs to be yours, what needs to be your inheritance, what, what belongs to you will come to you. Nobody can take that away from you in Jesus' name. And in the way they were cleansed of their leprosy, your obedience will become the pathway for your healing. Your obedience. See, several times, it's, it doesn't require any of this. But in this case, the Bible says when they obeyed, Jesus saw that their greatest need was the test of their faith. If they are willing to obey. We think that faith is more about how much I can just believe how uh, about this imaginary healing in my mind and I meditate, focus on it day and night and somehow I'll convince myself. No, faith requires obedience. Faith requires actions. Your faith without actions is dead. You cannot tell God that I believe. The Bible says, James says, even demons believe and they, 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 they shudder. They tremble because they believe. But the difference between demons and Christians is that Christians obey. Demons don't obey. So it's not your belief that sets you apart from the world. It is your obedience that sets you apart from the world. And it is in your obedience, church. It is in your obedience to do what God has already told you that the next season of your life will come. The next verse, it says that one of them Thank God for the one of them. How many people got healed? Ten. It says one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. 
You remember, it was the border between Galilee and Samaria. The Bible says that this man, when he saw that it is done, that he got his healing, he didn't continue on that journey. He came back. Technically speaking, he disobeyed Jesus. What did Jesus ask him to do? Go and show yourself to the priest. Technically speaking, he disobeyed Jesus. He came back and he fell at the feet of Jesus and he began to worship him. He came back shouting, screaming. Out of the ten, one person, okay? There are ten of them. All ten of them prayed. All ten of them pursued Jesus. All ten of them had an expectation from Jesus and all ten of them received from Jesus. But the thing is, They all received an instruction, but they didn't receive the revelation behind that instruction. They followed the letter of the law without understanding the spirit behind that letter. There were things that Jesus said while not saying it. Here is Jesus. Let me, for for your information, let me read the next verse, okay? The Bible says, verse 17, Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Which means Jesus was in fact expecting all ten to come. While he sent them to the priests, he was expecting them to return. Somewhere down the line, Jesus was expecting them to return. But Jesus didn't tell them to come. See, this is where we get church wrong. We are waiting for God to come and tell us some things. We are waiting for God to come and reveal how much you need to, you know, there are people who come and, uh, you know, sit and talk and argue with me. Should we really give tithes in the New Testament? Uh, Show me one verse in the Bible and then I will do it. They'll tell me. I'm like, no, 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 this is not for you. If you're waiting for God to come and tell you that you need to give your 10%, And then you will give. I don't think that is coming out of thankfulness. Then you're trying to obey the letter of the law. Here is Jesus. He he expects them to obey. He expects them to come back. But he doesn't tell them to come back. He sends them to their own religious system. He says, go and show yourself to your pastor. Go and show yourself to your priest. This is what you normally do. Go. But there was one among the ten that had a revelation in that instruction. He said, no, my healing came from Jesus. I better first show myself to Jesus before I go and testify before anybody else. He returned. He he said, at the risk, at the, uh, you know, I'll take the risk of, you know, looking like I'm disobedient, looking like this is something Jesus didn't even ask me to do, and I will return back to receive this help, to go and... This time when he came, he didn't come to receive. This time when he came, he came to give. This time when he came, he didn't come to obey Jesus because there was no instructions left. This time when he came, he came to just worship Jesus and to just say, Lord, I'm, I'm thankful your, your, your unfailing love in the morning. And your faithfulness in the evening. When I think of all that you have done and all that you think about me, I'm left with no other option but to come back and sing for joy and to give thanks to you. 
And that revelation drove him to return back, to turn his direction back, to come back to Jesus. And he said, I, I just want to admire you right now. I just want to give to you. I just want to praise you. I want to thank you for how you have blessed me, how you have taken care of me in this season. You know, if you know, we, can, we can give to God our resources, we can give to God our worship, we can give to God everything that we have. But if it is coming because of an instruction, because somebody is now telling you, hey, you have to give. That's why Apostle Paul said, don't give out of pressure. That's why Paul said, hey, if, if, if somebody is pushing you or, you know, is pressurizing you to give, then don't give. Because giving has to be cheerful. Giving has to be from your heart. Giving has to be because you want to do it. Don't ever say, I'm, I'm waiting for God to tell me how, you know, to, to give and then I will give. No. See, if, if, it, if it's about giving to somebody else, I understand. But if it's about giving to God, don't, don't ask. Don't wait for God to give you a figure in your mind. He, because He's not going to give you. He will expect, but He will not tell you. He expects your worship, but He will not tell you how to worship. He expected Mary to break that alabaster jar, but He never told her to break that alabaster jar. He celebrated it. He, he was thankful. He, he honored that worship, but He never openly told her, Hey, Mary, in about three days, I'm about to die and my body needs to be prepared for burial. Will you please do something? No, nothing. There needed to be one Mary with spiritual intelligence to catch what Jesus didn't say, to, to, to preposture her heart in a place that she would be willing to be thankful and grateful and filled with worship for what he has already done. Whereas the rest of the nine of the disciples, the rest of the nine of the followers of Jesus, they were just obeying the letter of the law. They're saying, oh, you want us to prepare a feast? We'll prepare a feast. You want us to arrange a donkey? Dungeons, we'll obey, we'll do the donkey. What, what, do you, what is next? What is next on your agenda? We'll do that. But here was one woman who was looking for what Jesus didn't ask her to do. And that captured the heart of Jesus. And here, the Bible says, Jesus is asking, where are the rest? Where are the rest? Where is, where is the rest of the church? The word was for everybody. The blessing was for everybody. But where is the rest? This morning, he's looking for some thankful people in the house. He's not just looking for people that he can heal because he can heal everybody. He'll heal all of us. But he's looking for somebody who is willing to celebrate what he has already done in our lives, who is willing to worship like, man, this, this is it. I, I, I just want to forget about what I need now. I just want to focus on what you've already done. And I just want to celebrate that. It could be in my rejoicing, my singing, my thanksgiving, my, in my offerings. You know, that's why God in Malachi chapter 3, it says, bring your tithes and your offerings to the house of God. The tithes are for what God has already done. The offerings are what you give in expectation of what God is about to do in the days to come. The tithes, you're, you're saying thank you for the salary you just got. You're not uh, giving tithes in expectation. That's why there are two types of giving. There, are, there is a giving 
where you are thankful for what God has already done and what God has already given to you. And there is a giving where you're expecting God to now do something more, something different in the days ahead. And the Bible says that Jesus asked, where are the other nine? Why didn't they come to? Didn't 10 get healed? Didn't I heal 10 people? Where is the gratefulness in the other nine of them? Are you ready to read the next scripture? It's very powerful, okay? The Bible says in verse 18, Has no man returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Verse 19, it says, And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Wait, Jesus, you got it wrong. He had already been healed. It was the instruction, the obedience that healed him, right? Come on. Do you remember this? A few verses back, Jesus said, go show yourself to the priests. And when they went, they were healed. All 10 of them were healed. Now, Jesus looks at this man who came to worship. This man who came to give glory to God. And Jesus says, wait, your faith, your faith now put into actions. That actions that led you to a place of revelation. The revelation that brought you to a place of worship and thankfulness. This has healed you. So get up and go. So what I did is I, you know, like I usually enjoy doing, I clicked on the words and I started studying the Greek meaning of this word. Okay, the, the previous word where the Bible says all 10 of them were healed, the root word is catharized, which means to cleanse. You know catharization? Where they put something hot and they try to take out any uh, they try to seal any wound that is open and they, they, th- that's a process of cleansing making sure that no uh, there will be no infection you know? and, and the Bible says when the 10 of them were healed so all of them had infection on their body they had leprosy on their body but as they obeyed Jesus they got cleansed the presence of God came upon them and they just you know all the infection it just died all the attack of the enemy just stopped all of a sudden what was fighting them for such a long time it just came to a sudden halt when they obeyed but then but the healing in this scripture it's not the same catharized the healing the root word for healing in this scripture is the word sozo you remember sozo we started with sozo sozo means salvation Sozo means wholeness. Sozo means that you're not just now cleansed, now you're made whole. So in other words, practically speaking, these leprous people, they, they, they had leprosy that was continuing to eat their bodies, right? You know what leprosy is. It eats up your body parts. It says that for the nine of them, the eating stopped. But the, the one who came back, not only did the eating stop, but what was lost came back. What was taken away, what was cut off, what was destroyed, it was made whole. It is now no longer just about, hey, God just blessed me, God just stopped this attack. No, now what has been attacking me for generations has been restored back, has been given back. That is the power of thanksgiving where you now are not just looking at what God has not done. You know, it, it's, it's very 
normal for the nine to look at themselves and say, wow, thank God for this, but look at this, I still don't have my fingers. I still don't have my, uh, my toes. You know, if, if God would have not allowed this in the first place, I could have, you know, been like everybody else. This will remain as a scar on my body for the rest of my life. All nine of them have reasons now to crib. But there was one person who focused on what God has already done. He began to celebrate what God has, the little that he got, he began to celebrate. The little that he received from the Lord, he began to say, morning, noon, and night, I'm just going to sing about it. I'm going to talk about it. This will be my testimony. I'm not going to wait for everything to pan out. I'm just going to be thankful for what God has already done. And in that thanksgiving, that opened a door for God, for God to now heal them in the next area for that healing to now become wholeness, for that catharization to now become sozo, where there is restoration of what has been eaten, what has been destroyed in his life. So today the Lord is inviting the church, inviting you and me to a place of thankfulness, to a place of uh, worship, to a place of giving glory to God. And let me tell you this, God is not going to tell you how to do it. God is not going to tell you to go on your knees. God is not going to ask you to uh, put this offering. No, it has to be your choice. If it is uh, something specific as an instruction that you need for your catheterization, then God may give you an instruction. But to your, from the journey from being cleansed to be whole, it is your choice. That is going to be dependent on how sensitive you are to the voice of God in your life. Because God will heal everybody, trust me. But we are not just after healing, we are after wholeness. How many of us know that you can be healed, you can be blessed, you can receive your deliverance, you can receive your breakthrough and still live in struggling, in struggle, still, still live without peace, still live without joy, still live discontent for the rest of our lives. We can be blessed by the Lord and still not have that wholeness that He wants to give us because we are not thankful, because we are still focused on what He has not done. Come on, church. If there's one thing that, one big mistake that we can make is to just, you know, be so narrow-minded, so focused on our losses, so focused on things that we can't see, that, you know, they are in the mind of God, we don't see it in action. We're so focused on the pain and the hurt and the, and the failures and the brokenness. And then we are now plagued with mental health conditions. And now we are plagued with physical health issues. And now we are plagued with so many things because we are not grateful, because we are not thankful. You know, the secular world, they have tapped into this principle and they call it positive thinking. They're like, you think positive, there will be nice energy, this positive energy in your body, in your mind, your BP will be fine, your sugar will be fine, there'll be no stress. That is all biblical principles. They just don't know that this is, the source of it all is Jesus. If we can, we, we can do what this guy, see, it's, and, and it's not about how well you read your Bible, because this was a Samaritan who did this. Okay, a Samaritan who didn't have access to God the way that the rest of the Jews had. So it's not about your Bible knowledge. It's not about how religious you are. It is about the posture of your heart. 
if you can if your heart can be in that place where you say lord i i just don't want to come to church to hear a sermon and go back i want to come to church to receive the revelation behind the sermon so that i can i can now do things that is not expected of me Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20 the bible says and give thanks for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ for everything which means you have to give thanks to god even for your failures which means i thank god even for the things that he has not yet done you remember the works and the and the thoughts I, i i admire not just the works that god has done i also admire the things that god has not yet done the thoughts that has not yet become become works you remember the psalm psalm 92 right where the bible says now you give thanks to god for everything there's nobody who has everything figured out right anybody in this place if you are then very dangerous because you may just be ready for heaven <laughs> trust me then you, you're not meant to be here on earth the bible says you need to now worship god for everything for everything count not just your blessings count your problems and thank god for them count the the areas where there are failures and thank god for your failures count the count the all the negative text messages you have gotten and thank god for them count all the number of phone calls all the threats all the text messages that your bank sends you when you default on the loan payment and thank god for them trust me what you're doing is you are admiring the thoughts of god you have you you know the work of god you're thanking thankful for the blessings but now you're thankful for the thoughts now you're thankful for things god has not yet done the bible says be thankful for everything first thessalonians 5 verse 18 it says be thankful in everything not just for everything but in everything which means see we can we have the you know maturity to when we are back when we are back to our normal state to say okay thank god nothing bad happened but in everything like when you're in the middle of that mental mess can you thank god at that time um, i'm telling you that's harder you're waiting for things to come down things to normalize let my anger cool off let you know let me just get to church let you know somebody play some nice chord you know some <laughs> don't play any sad notes today don't sing any sad songs i i i want i i want to just i just came here to jump and dance and you know make for no 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 in everything when you're still in that mess can you thank god when you're still in that problem can you worship god because anybody can come to church and especially if pastor amit is in church i'm telling you we can worship but the real test of your worship is not what you do in church the real test of your worship is in everything when you're still not out of it when you're still limited when you're stuck in that dungeon when you're stuck in that relationship when you're stuck with that phone call on your ears you've not not yet hung up can you still worship god at that time the bible says that when when this when these messengers would come and tell job that uh, your this has happened and 
He says, before, before he finished speaking that, the next guy will come with another bad news. And before he finished that, the next guy will come with another bad news. Immediately, what did Job do? Worshipped. He didn't have his answers figured out. You know, the next rest of the Job is about, you know, him getting out of the problem. He didn't have all his answers figured out. We are waiting for God to give us a clarity so that once I have a revelation, then I will give. Once I have, no, 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 in everything. Before, don't wait for all the answers to fall into place. You have to look at the one who, who knows all the answers. You have to look at the one who has good thoughts for you, who has the good, the right actions in store for you. If, if you can just admire that thoughts in everything, I'm telling you, we will experience the hand of God in our life. Our thankfulness can be very prophetic in nature. It's not just about what we, can, what we have gotten in the past. It's also, like I told you, making way for what God is about to do in the days to come. Jesus, the Bible says, whenever he would pray for food, he would give thanks. At one point, he took five loaves and two fish into his hand. And he began giving thanks to God. For what? For the 5,000 people that are going to eat of this bread. He's not praying. He's not asking God to multiply it. But he's giving thanks to his father. For the 5,000 people that are going to be now fed from this five loaves and two fish. In Matthew chapter 26, the Bible says, after they finished eating, Jesus, he took up the cup. And he gave thanks to God for it. Now this was not a happy cup. This cup represented suffering. This cup represented something that he was not very happy to carry. It says, he took the cup, verse 27. It says, he took the cup of wine and he, what did he do? He gave thanks to God for it. He was not yet out of it. He was still in the middle of it. His heart was full of sorrow about what he was going to enter into. But what did Jesus do? Took the cup. And he thanked. Then he explained what it is going to be for. It's going to be for the remission of your sins and my body and my blood that is going to be, you know, broken and shed for you. But before all of that could happen, he began thanking God for it prophetically. All of us, we take communion after Jesus for what Jesus has already done. Jesus did communion for his disciples for what he was about to do. Even before it happened, they did communion. And they prophetically celebrated what Jesus was about to do. The sufferings that Jesus will go through, they began to thank God for it. Now, I'm not prophesying any suffering for anybody in this place. But I do believe that we, as a church, we have to be a church that is very wise in how we maintain our attitude in the midst of a suffering. In the midst of, I'm not saying you have to tolerate sickness or you have to tolerate lack or you have to tolerate poverty. No, no, no. That is not our portion. But you have to thank God in the midst of it. When you're still not rich, when you're still not got your answers, when you're still not got your healing, thank God in the midst of it. When the enemy is attacking, thank God for it because this is now going to make a way for something new, something greater that is going to be given when you tap into it, when you begin to worship, when you begin to be thankful. Thank you for tuning in for today's sermon. We hope it blessed you. Do visit us at dreamingrevival.com for more information. You're welcome to tune in every Sunday 
for our live celebration service at 11 a.m. at youtube.com slash Pastor Priji. God bless you and have a blessed week.